Does the channel provide value? Focus on the foundation. I am a travel vlogger. It's always about communication. Build those partnerships. What are the problems that you solve for your clients? Just being ahead on the technological side of things. Leading an organization. You not only want to survive, but you want to thrive. They said it wouldn't last, and they said that you can't drive profitable and incremental revenue through the affiliate channel. But here we are, 20 years later, and the affiliate channel is alive and kicking and generating profitable revenue for thousands of retailers across the globe. Hi, I am Jamie Birch, your host of the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast, where we talk to some of the industry's best and brightest about their careers, about leadership, and about how to drive profitable revenue through the affiliate channel. Hey everyone, welcome to the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast. My name is Jamie Birch. I am your host of this podcast and the founder and CEO of JEB Commerce, one of the leading affiliate marketing management agencies out there and uh, award winners as well. Today I have a special guest. I know I say that every time, but they're all special. Today I have Chris Park, a 28-year veteran of digital marketing. Yes, I said that right, 28 years. Uh, Chris is our current, one of our senior affiliate managers on the JEB Commerce team. So you get to meet one of our own again on the podcast. Now, Chris and I talk about a lot of stuff all the way back to when we first met each other, but we dive in very quickly into affiliate marketing. Should you run side-by-side -side programs in two different networks? When is that appropriate? We talk about downloads and should you have downloads and what happened way back when to change the course of consumer downloads right now. We talk about when you throw out affiliate affiliates and when you don't. Uh, and then we talk about managing multiple brands and we really dive into why affiliate marketing is all about partnerships. So Chris has been a good friend of mine for my entire career. I was so happy that I saw his Facebook message several years ago where he was looking for his next opportunity. We were able to bring him on board. So without further ado, I'm going to step out of the way so you guys can listen to my conversation with Chris Park. All right, Chris Park, welcome to the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast. Uh, probably my longest running relationship and friendship in affiliate marketing uh, is uh, is with you. We've both been doing this forever. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. How are things going in your neck of the woods back in my home state of Pennsylvania today? Well, you're Eastern Pennsylvania, so we don't actually even count that. But uh, Northwest Pennsylvania, now, things, now, are now. Nice. Uh, <laughs> things are nice in Northwest Pennsylvania. Um, I've been here for forever. So, Right on. Now, if I recall correctly, were you a football coach in that area? Or are you still doing that? No, not doing it anymore. Uh, I did it for about 10 years and uh, started my uh, career down at the junior high level and finally worked my way up to the high school and was there four years, I believe. And uh, had a lot of fun, but I'm having a lot more fun uh, actually having the time back. So I bet, I bet. I was seeing uh, our local high schools post all their football pictures as they started their season last week and excited to actually be playing football this year. Well, and you know, a lot of the people, a lot of the people say, are you happy to have your fall back? But, uh, you know, as soon as uh, the new year comes around, you've got the boys in the weight room. And then when spring comes around, you've got spring ball and summer has seven on seven. So it's pretty much a year round sport. So, so you got your whole year back now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the least part. And now you, you, uh, you are busy being the world's best grandfather. 
trying to be. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, got three now. So. Wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, well, you and I have known each other since at least 2003, if not uh, longer yeah, uh, than that, that, I think, but early 2000s, we'll put it that way. So. Yeah. Yeah. Back, uh, literally back in the day, um, I was looking through some of your, uh, your content on LinkedIn. And I saw a review I gave you in 2008 that said we yeah. had known each other for five years already at that point. That seems like uh, forever ago. Yeah, I think we met face to face for the first time at some Italian restaurant in Little Italy in New York. I think it was uh, a dinner prior to a conference. And uh, I actually met both you and uh, Brooke Schaff and it thought both of you were females up until uh, <laughs> Jamie and uh, you uh, laughed about it and Brooke was insulted. But, uh, yeah, well, I think at the time there was, there was three of us in the space with, uh, well, names that could go either way. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, I mean, I dealt with it my whole life. I, I knew more Jamie's that were female than I think I took yeah. me until I started my career to meet, uh, another male Jamie. So <laughs> I, that stuff pretty much rolls off, off my back. I had thought. Uh, when you said Italian restaurant, I had thought about our experience at Commission Junction way back oh, yeah. in the day, uh, yeah. where I think we all ordered family meals and we had a ton of food left over. Well, actually, I think we ordered the guy told us we should order halves because the larges were really large. So we each got a half and it was still enough people to enough to feed four people. So that was crazy. And and uh, and then we decided to gift our leftovers to some in the homeless community and didn't realize we caused uh, quite a uh, ruckus uh, yeah, afterwards yeah. by giving it to one individual. Yeah. He got attacked by about seven others. So that, that's uh, a lesson of two small town boys uh, exactly. in a uh, big, big city, California, not realizing <laughs> how things work way back when. Awesome. Well, Chris, you've been in this space for since the beginning. Tell me your origin story. How did you, how did you get into affiliate marketing? Well, you know, uh, I was working for Blair Corporation at the time. They're the hometown employer here in Warren, Pennsylvania. Back in the day, if you didn't work for Blair, somebody in your family did. Um, you know, the actual city is about ten thousand people, and Blair employed uh, about twenty three hundred. So, um, my dad worked at Blair. My granddad worked at Blair. Uh, actually, between the three of us. Uh, almost a hundred years, um, in wow. the company. So my granddad had 52 in the company. So 52 uh, years. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, the, the last few years, actually several years, he was treasurer. So I don't know how much he was actually doing, you know, uh, <laughs> but, uh, other than driving in and sitting in his office, but in any case, you know, I, uh, I got caught back home to work for Blair. So I came to Blair and I was working in the advertising department as a copywriter and, uh, Eventually, I was one of the ones that was pushing that we needed a website, and uh, finally they agreed, and we contracted with IBM and IBM's WebSphere product to uh, create us a website. Went down to Atlanta to Global Services, worked with them on the creation of the website, and then uh, once uh, the website was actually up and running, and we were no longer using Catalog City to do our orders. Uh, Prior to actually having a real website, wow, um, a real e-commerce website, we had links on our own website that went to Catalog City, who would take the orders and then fax them back to us. And uh, 
it worked, but uh, come Christmas time, uh, <laughs> wow. a lot of faxed orders were coming in and they were clogging up the one fax machine. So people all over the company started getting faxes of orders that uh, were coming in because as soon as one was clogged up, it would go to the next one and go to the next one. So uh, we had to send somebody around four times a day collecting all those off the fax machines. But um, in any case, uh, once it got up and running wow. and we were actually e-commerce uh, uh, enabled there. Um, we hired a gentleman from, from uh, Chicago named Jeff Parnell and he came in to be our director of e-commerce. And after about two weeks, he called me down to his office and said he wanted to start an affiliate program and he wanted me to be his affiliate manager. And obviously I said, sure, I'd be happy to do that. I had no idea what affiliate marketing was. So, uh, we were going to be with dynamic trade was the uh, network we were going through, which became part part Performix, which became GAN, and uh, but in any case, uh, I learned as much as I could. Started another program with CJ that was side by side programs, and uh, been doing it ever since. So, and uh, you know, it was great writing ad copy, but when you're writing copy for catalogs, there's not a whole lot of creativity, and you really can't put into uh, and put it really down to how you're accomplishing your goals and what your goals can be. I mean, other than writing a little blurb about polyester pants, it's uh, not really there. But what I loved about affiliate marketing was, uh, in addition to the relationships, just the opportunity to be able to see how much that program is growing and all the different ways that you could actually uh, tickle one side to actually uh, get it working again or uh, actually throw people out even sometimes that weren't playing well. So that's, so what's kept you in for you know, now we're 20 odd, some odd years later, what's been the the thing that's kept you engaged and uh, excited about affiliate? The marketing? friendships, the friendships, uh, I, that is hands down. You know, uh, I managed the Blair program for God, about 16, 17 years, I guess. And uh, added in there a few others from, Old Pebble Traders, uh, we got uh, Bedford Fair, and uh, then when Blair was acquired by Blue Stem Brands, uh, I had 11 brands that I was managing programs for, and they decided to hire an agency to manage all things online marketing, and wanted me to be the liaison between the agency and the brands, and that didn't sit right with me because I had so many friends on the affiliate side, and uh, that, you know, I didn't want to just... Uh, lose them. So I told Blair that if that was the way that they were going to go, I was probably going to have to leave. And I don't think after 28 years, they believed I'd leave, but, uh, I turned in my two weeks, uh, about a week wow. later. And, uh, yeah, I just could, you know, it's, uh, so many friendships build up over the years. I didn't want to lose those people and didn't want to be like, uh, snooping on Facebook just to see what people were up to. So, <laughs> <laughs> which I, st I do anyway. Now that's awesome. And so, so then you, you worked at a couple agencies and now you're one of our senior managers at JEB. Yeah. I'd always wanted to work with uh, my buddy, Jamie Birch. And uh, I don't know if you remember, but uh, every time you posted something, whether it was on uh, Facebook or where I'd always say, Hey, you're taking uh, remote employees yet. And you'd always say, no, no, no. But uh, I guess uh, eventually it worked out. And uh I got to come home to JB. So. Yeah, and it's good. It's good to have you home. You know, I still I can tell you exact intersection 
where, uh, yes, I was looking at my phone at a stoplight and you had posted, I think on Facebook or LinkedIn. And I think we were talking before the next stoplight on the yeah. phone, uh, about you coming on board. You posted, I saw it like the moment you posted and, and uh, at that time we had started to look at remote. This was pre pandemic. Uh, now we all are remote and that's, that's not a problem. We have, uh, people all over the country now, uh, but that, but back then, uh, we hadn't really opened it up. So I, in fact, many times I pass that intersection, I'm like, ah, it's where Chris and I chatted about coming on board. Well, you know, it's funny because two years prior, when uh, I had decided to leave Blair, I posted something on Facebook that knew of somebody with 18 years experience and might be looking for a job. And uh, it was probably within three hours, uh, I got somebody saying, you know, I can't use it, but I know somebody who can. And, uh, they put me in touch, and when I saw a couple of the other people that were working there, uh, Lisa Riolo and Lisa Piccarelli, I said, you know, that can't be bad. So uh, joined up with them for a while, and uh, when I finally decided that probably wasn't working as well as I thought, I posted on Facebook again, and yeah, within 10, 15 minutes, uh, I got the call, dude, are you looking for a job? So <laughs> That sounds like exactly. me, too. Exactly. <laughs> so. Well, and we're really glad to have you. Now, you mentioned some things in your um, your kind of origin story, some of the different experiences you had that I'd love to dive into. I think would be real helpful for our listeners. Um, and one of them, so so I want to ask you about side by side programs, removing affiliates, and then managing all those brands and working with multiple brands. So, tell me, you know, would you run side by side programs today? Do you think that uh, now side by side programs back then? Talk to me about why that was important and and you know kind of is that is that viable today? You know, back in the day, and the only reason I went with side by sides, I went to a net dot marketing show in Seattle and uh, was talking to the folks at uh, Dynamic Trade at the time, and across the aisle was Commission Junction, and I'm looking, they had several of the same merchants on the backdrops and uh they weren't like link share that uh you had to have an exclusive program so i went over and talked to the cj folks and maybe six months later we started a program with them and i think back in the day it probably was a little bit more important where you would run into a lot of affiliates who would say i hate commission junction or i hate dynamic trade i'll never work with somebody through them again they and so it was always nice to be able to say, well, you know, we've got a program here also. And uh, it caused a little bit more, you know, you always had to merge the reporting and uh, I wouldn't do it anymore because Heiko DePaul or Heiko DePaul, um, Heiko called me out wow, on it all that's the time. A name I haven't heard. Heiko called me out on it all the time at ABS Web because when traffic would come into Blair, we actually put in a front door that said, is this coming from Commission Junction is coming from Dynamic Trade. And then if it was Commission Junction, we track it that way. If it was not, then. And so that way we knew who to credit the uh, sale to. But uh, Heiko always pointed out to me that, that there could still be another cookie residing on that shopper on the other network. And so if that person made a purchase, that person, per our contract, was entitled to a commission. And the more I thought about it, the more he was right. 
that, uh, you know, with dual programs, it's not that the, the affiliate is on both programs and you're going to commission them through both programs. That's why we set up that front door was to keep yeah. that from happening. But, and you're, you're worried about double commissions, yeah, right? Yeah. At this point paying twice for but the order. Yeah. Per the contracts with the networks, uh, we were probably in violation because, you know, that even though we were saying that CJ cookie overwrote that dynamic trade cookie or performance cookie, um, that isn't allowed. It's only in the network that that cookie can be overwritten. So technically, we probably should have been paying CJ affiliate and dynamic trade affiliate a commission on that sale if there was a cookie from each. Yeah. So for our listeners uh, benefit, what you're talking about here is if, if a user, a customer comes through uh, network a and they don't place an order and then, and the cookie duration is 30 days at day 25, they come through network B and they make an order. Now both networks contractually have complied and that commission is due to both places, right. whether that you had some front door in there. And, and that's one of the reasons why you don't really recommend multiple networks right exactly. now. Exactly. Yes. Um, you know, I've learned, uh, learned a lot over the years and, uh, honestly, I don't think that really is the case anymore. I think, uh, publishers are pretty much willing to work with you through just about any of the networks anywhere. It might not be some of the really small networks or things like those along those lines. But if you're talking a CJ, a link share, an impact, a share a sale, I don't think they have a problem working with you wherever you're at. So, And that was, I remember for me, we, I've done that in the past too. Um, that was the primary reason is uh, Commission Junction had a universe of uh, affiliates uh, Linkshare and Rakuten had a universe. ShareASale had a universe. AvantLink, Link Connector, all these had their own universe. There was a lot of overlap. Right. Uh, but back in the day, I remember Commission Junction was heavily into lead gen and not anyone else was. So they had that. Um, Linkshare and Rakuten was heavily in uh, apparel uh, and, and fashion. And so, but now, or when did you see that change to where affiliates were in, you know, they were like, it's a network, I'm signing up, I'm integrating and I'm there. Well, you know, there was always, ShareSell always had the disclaimer that they didn't allow any, uh, any uh, downloads into their program, you know? And so I think they really had, mm-hmm. they really had a following of affiliates that believed in that and. Thus, they should have because, you know, around Christmas time, you always saw something breaking on Ebates where uh, it was overriding uh, affiliate commissions or affiliate cookies. So um, I think that was probably one of the main reasons why people didn't want to work with one network over the other was just the downloadable software. And, you know, Ebates is more moneymaker and shop at home's. Uh, golden, golden retriever, retriever right? yep. So, and you yeah. promises you were Top mine. Moxie, yeah, I think they ran all of it there. And uh, and actually, uh, I attended a meeting early on, like in 2002, one, 2002 in New York at the Yale Club, where they brought the networks together, they brought merchant uh, representatives, affiliate representatives, and then the software and uh, discussed the whole thing. Nothing was really decided, but. 
um, early on in my career, that gave me a really good understanding as to what was going on. And at that point, you know, that was the first time I met Heiko. And uh, I, w- I was just amazed. He wasn't what I expected. I mean, he was an enormous man, uh, just tall and big. And uh, I met uh, Wayne Porter at that meeting. And a lot of my understanding of affiliate marketing uh, is due to those gentlemen and several others, just because they were so, so knowledgeable about all the back end stuff going on. And I really didn't have any knowledge about that. It was all the relationships that I had knowledge of. So. Yeah, those two guys had, and Wayne specifically, uh, unfortunately, we lost him, I think, last year. Um, heavy into the technology yeah. and just how the internet worked. Now, I remember I couldn't make that meeting. Um, I really wanted to go, but in my mind, it was a scene from like uh, old British parliament, you know, yeah. people yelling and, and one side after the other. Um, tell me a little bit what it's like. And then I'd love to ask you a question for our audience of, of about these downloads. They may not be familiar with it, but what was the meeting like? Cause I imagined just contentious and people yelling, uh, but was it, it- it wasn't nearly as much as I expected. You know, um, typically they would, they had one of the networks speak first and then they would do pretty much a round table on asking the networks about this. And toward the end, they allowed the, well, allowed, they forced the software uh, companies to come up and they were accused of everything from knowing that this was going to happen to just being bumbling uh, nimrods that, uh, didn't plan on this and that they couldn't actually handle their software. But uh, I was actually able to stay pretty much in the background and just watch. But uh, a lot of the affiliate representation there, um, obviously, since they were getting their commission stolen, were the ones that were the most uh, vocal and uh, actually accusatory. So So I I think this discussion would be real helpful. We're kind of diving real deep into the, you know, in the deep end of the affiliate pool here. Um, But talk to me, what is a download? What was it then? And what is it now? And why was there a need to have this Congress of sorts to hash it out? And a name, you're going to help me with the name, but um, it was in the day, um, the affiliates, and I'm going to use Ebates as an example, um, had a download that you could download on your onto your computer that would always help you get your cash back. And it's very similar to what's running now on, you know, Ebates and Honey and any of the other several uh, publishers that do it now. But back in the day, the big thing was screensavers, downloadable screensavers. Um, you know, you could download those screensavers and Ebates' Mo Money Maker software was attached to those downloads. And... So it wasn't just something you went to get on the site. And I actually had a call with, and that's the name I'm going to help. You're going to help me out with. Um, okay. uh, what was his name at Ebates um, for the longest time? Paul Nichols. Yes. Thank you. Paul yeah. and I probably had a three and a half hour. Shout dis- out to Paul Nichols. Exactly. Love that guy. Uh, we had a three and a half hour discussion. And I said, how can you put this in a download with a screensaver? How do you n- match this up to the person that is actually having a account on Ebates. And he said, oh, they can do that. And went round and round. I said, what if somebody has the Mo Money Maker software but doesn't have an account on Ebates and comes through and makes a purchase? He said, then we." his answer was, and Paul, I'm sorry, 
um, that they keep that in an account until that person one day decides to sign up for Ebates and actually have an account with Ebates. And I told them I didn't think it was fair. I didn't think it worked. And so I told them if we couldn't be just coupon only, uh, we were going to have to leave Ebates. And Blair left Ebates for about five years while I was managing the program. And wow. so, you know, so everybody understands what's going on there. It still happens today. But if somebody had and that. Ebates wasn't the only one. No, no, there was no. Like we said. Almost all of them, yeah. the, the download issue, right? Whether yeah. they opted to download it or not was a big concern. And and I know um, some people were complaining back in the day about you promises, you remind. It would pop up mm-hmm. and say, do you want to get cash back with your order today? Well, when they were in the cart. And obviously, most people are going to say yes. Well, they were setting the cookie even when the people clicked no. Because that was a click, and the the uh, the cookie required a click. They considered even a no response a click. So even if the people didn't want to re- get cash back, um, you promise got credit for that sale. So I know uh, that was uh, Deborah Carney. I remember was one of the ones that was she and uh, Kelly Stevenson, I believe, were the ones that found that mm-hmm. that it was actually setting a cookie on that no response and. So it was just a really difficult time where uh, the smaller affiliates were getting getting their commission stolen, and uh, a lot of that software was wasn't designed quite as well as it is now. So uh, yeah, it was a bad time. Yeah, and so for our listeners, we had uh, consent of download issues yeah. way back when, and and again, this was this was 2000 to 2005, yeah. I think. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so you had consent of download. Did I really want this reminder? Was I choosing to get my reward when that shopping yeah. happened? And then you had this huge issue of these downloads. And, and I remember the vast majority of them, if not all of them, they all overwrite wrote affiliate cookies. Yeah. So if uh, if a smaller affiliate, affiliate A, sent that user, they had a period of time where they could, that cookie day, where they could get credit for it. And if that then that customer made the purchase, that, uh, that download would take credit for the sale when they really didn't have a whole lot to do with it, if anything at all. And so you had these really good smaller affiliates that were totally getting stuff stolen. Essentially, their contention was it was stolen from right. Right. And and that led to everyone coming together and going, okay, what the heck are we going to do with this? Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, we're talking about forced clicks and just all different kinds of stuff that, uh, and I thought for sure we'd see all of that go away. But, uh, you know, as time went on, it just became a little bit more fair. I say a little bit more because I still don't believe that uh, some of these tools are fair to the smaller affiliates, but um, you know, it seems like any more people have decided, well, if you can't, if you can't play the game that we've been playing, we've got to play their game. So you're seeing more and more of the larger coupon sites and cashback sites actually adding those tools now. Yeah. That reward. So is that the big change? Do you think it's, uh, you mentioned that they've been more fair. So has the technology of those downloads changed much since back then? I think the technology has, and honestly, I think, uh, I think just the 
the bad press that a lot of them got over this. And uh, I don't even know if Top Moxie is still a company or not, but um, as everything else in affiliate marketing has, it just evolved until it became acceptable. Yeah. And I kind of think to me, some, that sort of uh, just how the industry felt about it. It reminds me of early on in the blogosphere when, and I think of mommy bloggers specifically, if any of, if you or I reached out to them to monetize, help them monetize their site or come up with some commercial relationship with them, there was this hard line ethical thing of I'm a blogger. I don't monetize this yeah. and screw you. And then they'd blast us, you know, on whatever social media was at the time. And that slowly changed to where there was no acceptance of commercial reward for creating content like that. And now it's not even a thing. Like there's, there's networks that work with those mommy bloggers and, and not to single them out, but they were at the time the most vocal. And sure. so I kind of think like now we see honey has uh, a download um, they sold a couple of years ago for an uh, insane amount of money. Yeah. And it, so it seemed like maybe, you know, as the technology got cleaner and minds just kind of changed in general, because when those came out, there was, wasn't there a real moralistic view of what affiliate programs what oh, were yeah, yeah. and weren't? Yeah. You know, and uh, that's when you saw early in the day, all of those, it seemed like once a month, there was some type of an article online about, how affiliate marketing was never going to have the staying power to continue to be an actual online marketing channel. <laughs> and, you know, the, the death rattle was continually rattling month after month. And I worried about it to begin with. And then after a while, uh, I just laughed about it because, uh, you know, affiliate marketing is pretty much one of the truest forms of marketing. And mm -hmm. uh, I just don't ever see it going away. So. Now talk to me about that. Why, why do you say it's one of the most truest forms of marketing? You know, it's, it's pretty much referral marketing and, uh, and you know, people, whether or not it's a blogger or it's a coupon site, you know, if I'm looking for a product and I go to, whether it's a coupon site and I go, if I'm looking for a box of chocolates and I go to a coupon site and go to food and find a few different chocolate uh, companies, it comes down to the point whether or not I decide I really like that kind of chocolate or I'm giving it as a gift and I don't know what kind of chocolate they like. So I might as well get the best deal I possibly can on it and uh, work that way. So I, I just think that, uh, you know, when you start talking about the paid placements with big magazines and big online websites, I think that's that's one of the things is probably going to move away. You know, there's really not a whole lot to putting a banner up and hoping somebody that's on Newsweek decides they want to buy a box of chocolate. You know, it's, you're just hoping to gosh that enough eyes see it, that uh, somebody wanting to buy chocolate is going to see that ad. But to actually be somewhere, on, whether it's a chocolate blogger or like I said, a coupon site or a cashback site where Every time I buy anything, I'm going to go to that cashback site to make sure that I get my 42 cents that off my box of chocolate. So, yeah, it, it's you know when people ask me what I do, mostly my family, uh, I, I I don't tell them it's something new. No. We've been doing this forever. There's yeah. always someone making a referral, 
uh, on products. And, and I agree with you. I think it's, you know, as old as old as time. Okay. So hit the software stuff, uh, and the side-by-side, uh, uh, programs, um, to kind of put a pin on that. Is there a time where you'd run side-by-side programs? Is it, is there like, uh, technical features that one network would prompt you to add a second or affiliate segments or anything like that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I did. I think so. Because, um, you know, when I was managing all the Bluestem programs, we were management decided we were going to have all our programs through LinkShare. And uh, Bluestem owned Fingerhut. Fingerhut is, uh, they're doing commercials now again, I see on TV, but uh, they are one of those merchants that sells to people on a budget. So every product on their site is typically shows you can get this radio for $22 a month. Um, you know, it doesn't tell you what the real price is, uh, and you're going to pay out the nose. You're going to pay eight payments at $22 a month for that $69, uh, radio. But in any case, um, they, so because they're very budget friendly, they had their own in-house, uh, their own in-house credit program. And they were very often trying to get credit applications. And so I think. Linkshare was fantastic for all of the Bluestem brands' uh, retail programs. But I think if I was still managing that program, I'd be looking to move that uh, credit application program to a different network that has, has better tracking and probably more affiliates that would know what it was doing. Uh, you know, we had to go out and actually find the partnerships for that. There was no partnerships finding you on LinkShare for that credit program. And obviously some still tried to apply to it, but, you know, a credit program just isn't going to go real well on a coupon site. So you still find affiliate segments that still can be true, but in overall, if it's a advertiser, a retail advertiser, nah. is is there, it's, it, that can be run on, on, on one network, you you wouldn't necessarily run it on. No, one I don't think so. You know, uh, obvi- and you and I both know we've talked about it. Um, some merchants uh, probably aren't a best fit for some of the networks, but I wouldn't yeah. look to open a second network. I'd probably look to move that program to a more suitable network. Are you enjoying the show so far? You know, running an affiliate program can be very complicated. Running a highly successful affiliate program that grows year after year, well, that can be even more difficult. At JB Commerce, we've been managing affiliate programs for over 17 years in almost every retail category you can imagine. With that experience comes a ton of successes, and we wanna share that with you so you can learn what to do to grow your affiliate program. So we have a section on our website entitled Case Studies. You can access this page by going to jebcommerce.com slash case studies. In this section of our website, you'll find industry-specific case studies, such as our new travel category case study, strategies and tactics we've used to grow incremental sales with our clients, an outline of many different tactics, strategies, and partnerships that we've executed, cultivated, and created in order to grow our clients' programs substantially year over year, and much, much more. Now, I want you to have access to these 100% for free simply because you're a listener of this podcast. You can access these by going to jebcommerce.com slash case studies. Now back to our show. 
So you also mentioned about throwing affiliates out. Uh, and I'm recording a podcast later today, a solo one on just removing affiliates because they're not productive. But you have thrown out affiliates for different reasons. So tell me what happens? What does an affiliate have to do to get your attention to throw them out of a program? You know, honestly, if if they're unproductive, boy, I'm really hesitant about throwing affiliates out for being nonproductive because uh, honestly, it, if I'm managing that program, that's on me about as much as it is on them. And I should be contacting them regularly saying, you know, what can I do to get you? Now, obviously, some people joined the program and then said, yeah, you know, that's not for me. And at that point then, yeah, I guess throw them out. But I like to be able to, I would say it's a lot easier to get an affiliate in the program productive than to go out and find a new affiliate and get them into the program, get them productive. So when I'm talking about the ones that I throw out, obviously more often than not, it has to do with trademark bidding. Mm -hmm. And uh, back in the day, uh, with Blair way early on, you know, um, we finally decided that we weren't going to allow anybody to bid on trademark terms. And it worked out well. I'd get in in the morning and I'd check and nobody's bidding. I'd check at lunchtime. And one day on a Friday evening, I had my computer here and I decided to do a check. It was like the Wild West. Everybody was <laughs> bidding. So, you know, they all of a sudden those uh, rogue affiliates knew I was in Pennsylvania. I was probably in the office between eight and five. So between like seven and six, they didn't bid. And as soon as six o'clock rolled around those evening hours, yeah, they were bidding like banshees. So um, I think those are the ones that you really have to be careful of because honestly, if you're working with a partner, which we do very frequently, two, two or maybe even three partners that we have a good relationship with, allowing them to bid for uh, maybe placements as a, as a reciprocal and they can bump out uh, a lot of your competitors. But if you just let anybody do it, you know, um, I know one time I looked and there was an ad that said, Blair has good cheap clothes. And, oh, no. and yeah, we did sell cheap clothing. Um, but, uh, inexpensive. Yes. And so that, uh, that just didn't cut budget minded, it. and and honestly, they were actually sending. They were overwriting our ad. They were sending the traffic directly to Blair, and yeah. I've seen people that actually copied our ads and even put the circle R on it. So you know, at those point, at that point, I don't ask them to please take it down. They're trying to uh, game the system. I just go in reverse commissions for the past two weeks and then throw them out of the program. Yeah, you know, and I had a similar uh, experience of finding out how I my program was being taken advantage of. Uh, my affiliates, once you were able to start geotargeting ads, they knew that sure. I worked in uh, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, that I traveled to New York and did some work there, and then I went to Vegas uh, for the summits. And so they made sure that, and I was real active on social media. So it was easy to know when, when I was in those places. <laughs> yeah. Well, one time I traveled to San, or I think it was Pittsburgh to pitch a client. And I didn't want anyone to know. And I thought, ah, I'm going to go check this out again. And it was the wild west. And, yeah. and that really, some of the relationships I had, you know, and relationships are built on trust. Right. 
And I had to terminate some of those relationships because they knew uh, too much about me and were being deceitful. And that's why they got kicked sure, out of, sure. of my program. Yeah, you know, and that's another benefit of working with uh, TM Plus publishers in a program. Um, you know, early on when I finally decided to open it up a little bit at Blair, one of our first uh, partnerships with TM Plus was anycoupons.com. And that was, David that was when David Lewis was still there. And, you know, David yeah. was over in California and uh, we ended up picking out somebody else out in Chicago. So David two or three times a week would uh, email me and say, Hey, when did you let so-and-so start bidding on trademark terms? So I didn't, he'd send me a screenshot and I'd look and sure enough, I couldn't see it, but David was able to see it. So we were able to uh, harness it that way. So if you've got three people checking from three different time zones, that can help out a lot too. Yeah. And working with the TM plus, you have your own, uh, enforcer there. And David Lewis was mine too at Coldwater <laughs> Creek. I, I've, I've asked him to be on the podcast. So hopefully he's able to, uh, he once sent me a request for an exclusive coupon in icing on a cookie cake from David's cookies. <laughs> he asked for a coupon for Eddie Cooper. He got it. Okay. Well, and you know, it's funny because, uh, Sometimes we talk about out of the box affiliate marketing types of stuff. And that's yeah. one of the things I do too. Um, you know, if, if we have a client that says we want to be working with this big, whether it's a blogger or, you know, a big news site or something along those lines, you might email them 10 times and get no response. Well, then eventually I'll start calling their front desk and asking for George, whatever. And, if she says he's not in or he's not available, you know what? I know I've been actually emailing the right person now because they have confirmed that there is a George yeah, so-and-so yeah. there. So then I've been known in the past to send George a big uh, like uh, bouquet of fruit. You know, the, uh, the I can't even remember. Yeah, fruit yeah the edible arrangements. I've yeah, been, yeah, yeah, I've yeah. been known to send an edible arrangements. And you know what? Unless you're a real jerk, you're at least going to send an email saying thank you. And, you know, yeah. the the response card on there always said, you know, my name's Chris Park. I've been trying to get in touch with you. Um, I would love to chat and give them my email address, my phone number. And sure enough, they'll at least email me and say thanks. And now you've at least got a conversation started. So Yeah. And that's so I want to read this is a great segue. Uh, I want to read one of your reviews on LinkedIn oh, and, and there are a bunch on there. Uh, so Chris Park has worn many hats throughout a uh, relationship with this particular affiliate. He's managed all aspects of our business partnership with superb attention and professionalism. Chris has superior insight and knowledge of this industry. I've seen him deal with difficult partnerships with the same verve and enthusiasm with all his relationships. Uh, and Chris's personality also adds to overall morale. So uh, uh, Trish here is talking about, you know, your ability to develop relationships. And, and I've seen that too, and learned a lot from you, uh, during our time, uh, as friends. Um, why is, why are relationships so important? You talked about, you know, sending a gift to start that relationships. Why are relationships so vital and building strong ones so important in the affiliate space? Well, you know, I think even if a partnership doesn't actually uh, start at that time, 
just having that relationship and keeping in touch with them and uh, making sure that uh, you know, you know, what their kids are doing, whether or not their uh, wife is actually uh, involved in affiliate marketing, also anything along those lines. It's always good to keep that because it might be five years down the road that I have a merchant that wants a client that wants to actually partner with them. And actually that has happened in the past week, Jamie, where I have tried to get a relationship going with a certain review site. And they couldn't do it before because they like working through Amazon because they get larger commissions through Amazon. But uh, finally reached out for one of our clients now for Front Point Security. And surprise, surprise, they responded back, we'd love to work with them. And so we had a call. They're, ex they're as excited about it as I am. So, uh, you know, and awesome. I think, I think mm -hmm. honestly, that relationship with them probably started four or five years ago trying to get because they've got a huge following and if whenever you go to google and you type in uh top 20 microwaves in 2021 or something along those lines they're going to appear in the search there so um it's always been somebody i thought would be fantastic um they just they don't work with everybody and they finally agreed. So I think that's where the relationships come in is just uh, just keeping those and being friendly with everybody and listening to what they have to say. You know, um, if if this site had told me we just don't work with anybody, we require a hundred thousand dollar buy in. Well, I'm going to keep them in the back of my mind, but. I'm probably not going to worry too much about them, but because they were always very cordial and always said, you know, here's why we don't want to work with you at this time. I was able to listen and read between the lines and figure that eventually I'm going to get one of our clients. that's going to be a match for them. So, yeah. And I've had, I've, I've, I've made mistakes in my career that uh, haunted me for a decade where didn't take care of the relationship. And they wouldn't work with my clients until enough time had passed sure. and, and enough apologies uh, were given and accepted. And so that it's different than a paid search campaign, right? You can turn off a campaign and turn it on and you don't necessarily upset or strengthen the relationship between you and that keyword set. Right. <laughs> but you're dealing with someone on the other side, right? A, sure. a human being uh, that remembers. Yeah. And you know, it's always great too. I've got, don't really want to toot my own horn, but I've got so many great relationships that any of the coupon sites or cashback sites, I've got a contact there that, you know, once I take on a new, new client, I'll look and make sure that those sites are actually on their, on in their program. And if they're not, um, I can email probably a dozen of those right off the bat and have a response within 20 minutes that says, yeah, we'll add them today. So um, yeah. it just helps out. And that I, I can't imagine how much time that cuts down on a new program. Yeah. If they have to build those relationships, it's got to cut, I would say, a year in the ramp up time to just be able to make a call. Right. So uh, on that note, <laughs> uh, one of the things you also mentioned is when uh, you your company got acquired, you had now 11 brands. Were there any strategies or tactics that you used that were different 
when you had one brand as opposed to 11. So if someone's managing a program with a ton of brands, is there anything unique about that? I really can't speak to that a whole lot, Jamie, because honestly, um, prior to being acquired by Bluestem Brands, Blair had been acquired by Orchard Brands. And Orchard Brands was trying to gobble up and acquire as many low-priced women's apparel catalogers as they could. So I was managing the Blair program and then took on Old Pueblo Traders and Bedford Fair. And then it came on to be Appleseeds, Norm Thompson, Sahali. They were all very similar programs. So I had been managing the Blair program probably for 10 years at that time. And the program had grown from six figures to eight figures. So we had a we, we had something we thought worked when it came to uh, women's low-cost apparel. So we just took that formula and pumped it right into all those other brands, too. The only one that was an outlier was Fingerhut because they had a lot mm-hmm. of other pro- products in their program. That one took a little bit... A uh, little bit more work, but uh, for most of the other ones, you know, I always had two affiliate promotions running per month, one from the 1st to the 30th, the other one from the 15th to the 15th. So every two weeks I could uh, email affiliates and uh, let them know about a new promotion, keep them uh, hearing from me. But uh, it seemed like the affiliates liked the idea of a 30-day promo. You know, and of course, mm. then we do some shorter ones, too. But that was always on the calendar. And typically, I would try and make sure that if Blair was doing a 30% off $100 orders, so was Bedford Fair, so was Old Pueblo Traders, so was Appleseed. So it made it made it easy to remember what was going on for all the other brands. And then that worked out well, too, because eventually Orchard Brands created a monster site that had tabs for all of the different brands. So with all those different brands having the same promo out there, it worked well. Yeah. Similar strategies over multi-brands that had similar audiences and similar products. Yeah. Um, Definitely bring some efficiency. So tell me about some of your biggest wins uh, in, in marketing over your, uh, uh, over your illustrious career. Well, I guess I would have to say number one would be the 2019 Pinnacle Award. Uh, I think uh, that has got to be one of them there. Um, oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just the longevity. And uh, I think I've been doing this now for 21, 22 years. And the main reason for that is because I enjoy the enjoy the work and I enjoy the partnerships. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's fun to come to work. You know, I think uh, that's the, uh, the biggest benefit that uh, I enjoy it. And, because I enjoy it, it makes my home life a lot better. You know, my wife uh, is fantastic. She has actually come to a couple conferences with me in New York and Vegas. And uh, I think she actually sat down with you one time and talked. And uh, yeah, oh, she yeah. gets she gets excited about affiliate marketing now. You know, she'll, she'll message me and say, did you see Zach's email today? And I'll say, Zach, who? And she's talking about Zach Johnson. She met Zach Johnson at one of the conferences and uh, got his business card and started following moneyring.com. And uh, so, you know, it's the point where she can almost talk affiliate marketing as well as I can. So I think that's just uh, one of the biggest wins there is that uh, my enjoyment of uh, affiliate marketing shows and uh, has actually uh, made things uh, to the point where she wants to learn more about it, too. 
That's awesome. Um, what what kind of has surprised you about affiliate marketing over the years? You know, I guess how things have stayed the same, but how much they've changed also. Um, I keep thinking that eventually some of these larger publishers with the cash back and stuff are going to have to do away with their enormous flat fees. And that's one of the things that I would still love to see change is if you're if you're managing a client, if you're managing Ford, yeah, you're going to be on all of those sites taking part in their their big promos and their big paid placements. But when a paid placement is the same cost for Ford Motor Company as it is for a company that does $10,000 a month in affiliate marketing, there, there's no way that there's going to ever be any room for that smaller publisher to get involved with that. And, you know, it's still the other thing that's always bothered me is when one of those sites comes up with a double commissions promo, you know, we'll let you on this page and we'll give you in an email. All you have to do is double your commissions for one week. Well, my commissions for my my client are already at 15 percent. I have to go to 30% for that, whereas maybe one of my competitors is at five and they have to go to 10% for that uh, to get included in that promo. But uh, there's usually no wiggle room on that either. So I'd love to see affiliate marketing actually uh, open up a little bit for the smaller merchants. A little more democratization and less uh, uh, aggregation. Um, What are the keys to affiliate management? Like what are the things that you need to be doing as an affiliate manager that if we have a, a budding affiliate manager listening that they, what are the keys that they need to do to run a really good program? Honestly, I, I think one of the biggest is just listening, whether or not it's listening to the rest of the staff, the rest of the team, listening to affiliates. Um, you're going to pick up. There are so many affiliates that know so much more about this than I do and more than I could ever hope to know. So, you know, listening to them and not just trying to pitch them and tell them, here's my merchant, please sign up for the program, but getting on the phone with them and talking with them and uh, listening to not only what their site is about, but what they're about. And uh, I think that's going to be a big help for you in the, uh, in the long run is just uh, learning more about the people. And, uh, you know, we all talk about it's partnerships and networking and that kind of stuff, but it really is the friendships. You know, you can call it what you want, but I always, I typically like to say it's the friendships that I've made. It's not the networking or anything along those lines because networking um, kind of makes it sound like it's business. And mm-hmm. more often than not, affiliate marketing becomes personal. You know, um, there's so many relationships out there. I just think uh, you've got to work on your relationships and, you know as well as I do that when we see somebody and talk to somebody that might be uh, applying for a job, if they're willing to uh, tell us about themselves and you can tell if they're listening to us and uh, mm-hmm. if they're looking over to the side, looking out the window every once in a while, or, it's pretty easy to tell whether or not they're going to do well in affiliate marketing just based on uh, you know how they actually have a chat with you. So I love that answer of listening. I didn't expect to hear hear that, but it's so true and so impactful. And and I think now, especially with the advent of social media, 
we're so used to projecting our voice and trying to become part of the conversation instead of sitting back and, and listening. So that, that is fantastic advice. Now we may have uh, an advertiser listening to us. That's working with an agency to manage their program. Uh, And this is a question I, I just kind of developed while we were talking. What are the keys that the advertiser needs to kind of get a handle on things they need to provide ways they work with their agency that you've seen that make that relationship, the agency and the advertiser work really well. What are the keys from their end? Honestly, the one is uh, one of those that you really can't do anything about. I think if a, if a, if a merchant is looking for an agency, I think one of the things I love about JEB is uh, a lot of the times the team that would be managing the program is brought in for at least one call with that uh, with that hopeful client. And I think it gives mm-hmm. you an opportunity to uh, start that start that relationship right then and find out whether or not you're going to be able to work together or not. You know, I've got some clients that I can tell you pretty much what their wives' names are. And, uh, and how many kids they have, what they're doing after our call. And, uh, there are some others that are very businesslike and, uh, it just seems as though the ones where we're a little bit more friendly work a lot better. And it gives you the opportunity both as an agency and as a merchant to maybe say some of those things you might be afraid to say or not think to say, because, uh, you're trying to keep it so businesslike. Um, you know, if, uh, if I'm in a good relationship with a merchant and they come up with a wacky idea, I'm going to tell them it's a wacky idea. I'm going to let them know, you know, that's your decision. We can try it if you want, but I don't think it's going to work. Whereas if it's more of that business relationship, uh, where that merchant is saying, we want you to do this, well, yeah, we're going to try it. And we probably will let them know this is going to be difficult and here's why, but a lot of the times... Uh, I think it's just the relationship between the agency and the merchant and making sure that it's going to work for both sides. And, uh, you know, the other thing that the aid, I think a lot of times the merchants, if they're going to hire an agency, they need to trust the agency and realize the agency is the expert on the topic. Um, So obviously there's got to be some pushback from the merchant. But if the agency is actually making a recommendation, I would hope that the uh, agency and the merchant have a good enough relationship that they would say, yes, then if you feel comfortable, if you feel confident about that, then let's give it a go. That's great. I love that answer. I know you and our team spend a lot of time to build the relationship with our clients as the foundation for for their success. Um, and, and we don't often talk about, and I, I don't hear a lot from advertisers saying that too, like to build their, we do have, we have one in particular that, uh, they focus very heavily on building a strong relationship with us. Uh, you know, I had conversations with their CEO purely to develop a good relationship right. at many different levels in our organization. And it's a great relationship. So I love that. So if you're an advertiser, you're either working with an agency or you're thinking about it from a 20 plus year veteran, uh, worked at multiple agencies, has managed many, many programs, many of them that you have heard their names. 
that's the one thing that came to mind first is, is build a strong relationship with your agency, focus on that. And that will lead to a lot more success. Uh, Chris, this has been fantastic. I've really enjoyed, uh, our time together. Um, and if, if someone wants to talk to you, chat with you, follow you online, what's the best way for them to do that? You know, uh, I'm more than happy to, my email address obviously is chris at jebcommerce.com. My cell phone number is 814-730-3474. Feel free to give me a call. I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. You know, I am very approachable. Um, I always make sure that I've got all my contact information at the end of every one of my emails because, uh, you know, honestly, if somebody wants to get in touch with me, I don't want to make it difficult for them. And if somebody doesn't want to get in touch with me, well, they're not going to pay any attention to that, uh, that footer anyhow. So, um, you know, the, the people that do need to get in touch with you, it's best to make sure that they can do it easily. And, uh, as most people can tell, I enjoy talking about affiliate marketing. So, uh, you know, I'm always happy to jump on a call or answer an email. Now, for anyone listening who just was surprised that Chris listed his phone number, I am not because that is the core of a solid affiliate manager. Just like he said, make it easy to contact and that's going to build a strong relationship. So I'm not surprised. Uh, you can definitely give him a call, but Chris, thank you so much for this time. I, I really enjoyed it. I think there's a ton of, uh, great morsels and, and nuggets of knowledge that you dropped on us today. And, and, uh, looking forward to seeing you face to face here shortly on our company offsite. Yeah, me too. All right, Chris, thank you. Thank you so much. Well, first of all, Chris, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. And I know we're heading into Q4 right now, and there is a ton going on with you and your team. So thank you for spending the time uh, with me today uh, in recording, I think, one of my favorite podcasts uh, so far in our season two. Uh, so thank you so much, Chris. Now, if you're one of our listeners, I definitely want you to take note of Chris's answer on the keys to good affiliate management. And I was expecting, you know, bulleted items of there's how you do this, this, and this, but his key takeaway was listening. And we do so little of that now. But looking back on my career, one of the reasons that, that I was a successful affiliate manager, one of the things we teach at JEB Commerce and that we do with all of our clients and our affiliate partners and our networks is listening. There is always someone who knows more than you and it's really great, a great tool to learn about uh, your client, to learn about your affiliate, uh, to learn about your network partner. And that helps you develop really strong relationships. So if you find that you're talking more on all of your phone calls, if you're having phone calls, I highly recommend them. But if you find that you're talking more than anyone else, maybe you need to turn that around, ask some good questions and listen. I, I thought that was one of the best things uh, to come from this, but I really also enjoyed the conversation on downloads. So if you don't know what those are, definitely replay that again. Chris does a really good job of talking about what those are, what they used to be, how they change now, and some of the things you need to be aware of right now managing your affiliate program. So Chris, thank you so much again. Really appreciated this. I want to give a special shout out 
to Gabe and Shane, who are managing all the post-production and marketing of this podcast. Couldn't do it without you guys. Really, really appreciate all your hard work that goes into producing the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast. Now, if you want help, if you heard something about this today and you want to reach out to Chris, it's chris at jebcommerce.com. He also listened, listed his phone number, so feel free to give him a, a call. We haven't had that yet, but I'm not surprised. Relationship building is at the core of who Chris is. And we love him for it. But you can also reach out to me in two ways. You can email me at gethelp at jebcommerce.com. Give me your question, any background, and we'll set up some time or I'll answer via email if I can. So that's gethelp at jebcommerce.com. And you can also go to calendly.com slash Jamie Birch and find a time that works for both of us to, to meet. And I'll spend time with you. We'll talk about whatever problems you're having or obstacles or challenges or goals that you're uh, trying to achieve. So there's those ways to get a hold of you. Now, if you have enjoyed this podcast, please share it on all your socials. If you know someone who would benefit from listening to this, send it to them directly. But we would really appreciate a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever podcast player you listen to. So go there, leave us a five-star review. Tell us why you like it. And if you want to be a guest, know someone who should be a guest, or there's a topic around affiliate marketing and, and performance marketing, partnership marketing that you want us to address on this podcast, just email us at gethelp at jbcommerce.com. So again, I hope this was a really good experience for you guys. You got a lot out of it. Please let us know what you did get out of it. And thank you, Chris, for joining us. Thank you, Gabe and Shane, for doing what you do. You guys have a wonderful day.